And as we think about Jesus's heart, what we're thinking about is this idea of Jesus's desire to see exact replicas of Jesus Christ. We call that disciple. And that's what he had in mind. People that would act like, people that would talk like, people that would think like, people that would live like Jesus himself. That was his vision. That was his mission. Go to all the nations and make disciples of Christ Jesus. And so the African Strategic Discipleship Movement is a continuation of the story that was birthed over 2,000 years ago. Through disciple-making, we want to see people grow deep in their relationship with Christ, but also at the same time to go broadly as we multiply through key leaders, through key pastors who are discipling others, who are reaching into their communities with the gospel. We have this whole problem of prosperity theology. The people are flooding into those false teachers' gatherings because we are lacking the strong teaching in the church. Their heart has to get around it, and their heart has to be exposed, and then they have to live that out, and that's the disciple-making process. And so that's what we're trying to do with African church leaders. They can go into their own local church and form a very intentional disciple-making group. It's a kind of journey together. Our goal is that over the course of two years, 16 leaders in the initial cohort. After that initial cohort, we will have two groups of 16, so 32. After the second sequence of that, the third phase, four groups of 16, 64 denominations. And the dream and the vision is that within six years, we will have 112 denominations from every country in Africa that are launching their own intentional, relational, disciple-making movement within their denomination. And these people who seem to be thirsty for the gospel of Jesus Christ, if they are properly discipled, will bring life to them, will affect their lives, will affect the lives of their families, will affect the lives of their communities, and by so doing, by extension, the country and the continent of Africa. Africa is ripe for the gospel. Evangelism is very successful. The question is, what do we do with them? And the African Strategic Discipleship Movement is designed to return us back to the principles of Jesus, to see disciples made in a way that takes time, in a way that is relational. And if we are faithful to the principle of investment and intentionality, we will see a return in a disciple's life that will live up to the picture that Jesus had in mind. Well, good morning. It's really good to be at Grace Bible Church. And I'm here today to tell you that the God is alive on the African continent. Amen for that. Uh, praise God for that. I want to give you a couple connections that I have with Grace Bible, at least three. Uh, number one, a mentor of mine is a guy by the name of Pastor Joe Wall that some of you know. And Joe Wall was responsible for starting Grace Bible Church with a lot of families in here. In particular, one of the Lunchford families was part of that founding core group. And so this is my first time to be at Grace Bible Church, but I've heard the stories. The second part of that is uh, I met Brian Fisher in seminary. And we did not meet in the classroom first. We met on the basketball court. 
And uh, Brian had a nice little sweet uh, eight-foot jump shot off the backboard, and that's where we met. He also loved the Lord, and he loved people, and it's awesome to see what God's doing now. And one third connection is when I was in college, I took a semester off, and I taught Sunday school, third-grade Sunday school, uh, back at Tomball Bible Church. And there was a fellow in my class by the name of Blake Jennings. Some of you might know him as the pastor of the Southwind Campus. But Blake was a piece of work, and I said, if you come to church every Sunday... For the next 16, uh, semest- or 16 Sundays, you'll get free tacos. And uh, Blake came every Sunday. And so I treated him to tacos. And I really do believe that that's what moved him into the pastorate was those tacos. <laughs> so praise God for that. Uh, I was a, a very comfortable pastor in Memphis, Tennessee, a church much like uh, Grace. We were seeing things go on there. We were baptizing people. We were sending people out. And I was profoundly restless. And my wife and I, in 2012, 2014, we left the church and we went to Ethiopia and had a chance to pick up on the partnership with Tom and Ramonda of what they were doing in Ethiopia. And I'm here today to tell you that discipleship is not a theoretical term. Discipleship will mess you up and change your life. What I realized was that disciple making was the piece of my ministry that I was missing. Love Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings uh, from a pastor's perspective, it doesn't get any better than that. But there's six other days of the week, and our imagination was going into Sundays. And I went to Africa, and I realized, wow, uh, pastors are being trained in Ethiopia. And we came out of Ethiopia in 2014, and we said, what would happen if, careful of the questions you ask, I'm not the Riddler today, but I am wearing a question shirt, careful of the questions that you ask yourself. And we said, what would happen if, what would happen if every African country where denominations in Africa are, are the cultural wineskin. The church meets in mega denominations in Africa. What would happen if denominations were, were, were discipled? What could happen to the gospel in the Arab world if, if the denominations uh, were discipled? And, and that's what happened to me. So Tom, they know you a lot better than, than uh, they know me. So kind of tell us a little bit about your connection to grace and how this thing called the ASDM has been woven into your heart. Well, good morning. Um, as Ernie said, uh, our family uh, was on the early days of Grace Bible Church beginning. And as a family of seven children, we sat just on the third row, just on this right-hand side over here in the, old bu- in the other building across the street and grew up with Pat Coyle in, in Sunday school at Grace Bible. But it was really during the, the time that I was here at A&M as a student um, studying veterinary medicine and getting involved in the, in the student ministry at Grace, that uh, really I was given a vision and a real heart for uh, missions and what God might be able to do through me and my life and the training that I was receiving both at A&M in veterinary medicine and, and also in, in the scriptures here at Grace to become a missionary. And so the Lord sent a number of us out around the world from Grace Bible Church in those days. And I know that missions movement has continued here through Grace. My wife, Ramonda, and I moved to Ethiopia in 1991 with our two small children. We got involved in discipleship ministry among a few churches in the rural area of Ethiopia, about 25 churches. And from that, it expanded um, to about 2,500 churches now that are involved in intentional discipleship ministry in Ethiopia. We got to know our colleague, Isaias Ersabo. You saw him on the video there. And Isaias is a guy like Ernie, lots of energy and big dreams. And so we started working together 
And through, uh, through the years, over the last uh, probably uh, 13, 14 years, that discipleship ministry has expanded across um, Ethiopia. Well, along comes Ernie and his wife, Anne, and their three girls. And they spend a couple of years with us and getting involved in the ministry in Ethiopia. And uh, in true form, Ernie and Esaias getting together, you can't slow them down. They started looking at the, the, the other countries, the denominations across Africa, and asking that question. Could this model that we've been using in Ethiopia really apply to churches across Africa? So we began to really talk with church leaderships across the continent. And they had three things that they said. The first thing was that discipleship in the local church is our biggest need. The second thing that they said was what we're doing um, just through our traditional Bible schools and seminaries is not really meeting the needs of the expanding church across Africa. And the third thing that they said is that we need models that work for us in Africa. So we started uh, working together with uh, 16 denominations across Africa, focusing in on a key leader in each of those denominations. And that's what we've been doing the last two years um, together with Esaias and Ernie and our, another one of our colleagues, Sam, from, uh, from Ghana. And so that's, um, that's how this ministry all got kicked off. Mm-hmm. Ernie, what, what would you say would be some of the core components of yeah. this discipleship ministry? So I, I call them quarterbacks. So we have 16 quarterbacks from 16 denominations. And the reality is, is that so goes the way a pastor is discipled will so go the way that he disciples a church. And so we want to bring them into deep relational uh, interaction. There is a big distinction between leadership training and disciple making. Uh, Leadership training in College Station, leadership training around the U.S., leadership training globally is one of the easiest things to do. So you fly a pastor, you fly an elder to a country, and they lead, they teach, they train, and it's awesome. But the reality is they go home and they got the notebook and they get the t-shirt And now what do they do? And so what ASDM is doing is that we're bringing the relational component. So over the course of two years, we fly these 16 leaders every three months to a different African country. So we have been to Ethiopia. We have been to Ghana. We have been to Egypt. We have been to Kenya. We've been to South Africa. We have been to Nigeria. We've been to Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso. Would you say that out loud? Ouagadougou. There's an actual place called that. It's not something on your shoe. But anyway... And then we finished in uh, Maputo, Mozambique. And so we have eight different gatherings that we have. And then these guys go back home. And I want you to see the process. They disciple in their intimacy with the Lord. Disciple making, first and foremost, is not a church concept. It's an intimacy with Christ concept. And so we're getting these pastors to open up their Bible. And we're having God speak to them on a daily basis. And I tell you this. If you're not in daily devotion, I tell you what, when you do, God will mess you up for the good every single day. And so we're getting them in the word of God. We're getting them discipling in their families. We're getting them discipling in a small group in the local church. Pastors are used to teaching. We're tellers. But when you put a pastor in a small group, he has to become a facilitator and it's a completely different skill. And then we're having them disciple 10 other pastors with the idea that after they disciple 10 pastors, those pastors would then disciple other pastors. So to answer Tom's question, which he asked, the core components of this are a daily discipline devotion. That's not rocket science. We all can do that. And then secondly, the mentor piece. If I had to say what is the game changer for us, uh, I was driving up here from the woodlands today. It was foggy out. I got a call from Zimbabwe today. 
Uh, Pastor Caesar just preached today in Harare. And if you know anything about Zimbabwe, it's a new day in Zimbabwe. A new guy in leadership. Caesar called me. He just preached. And part of that is because we have a mentor relationship where we're tight with one another. And it's that mentor relationship that, it, that is the game changer. Tom, we could talk a lot today. And I do want to preach in a little bit. But um, I'll give you a chance. Uh, give us some success stories. I mean, this is the ESPN culture. We need some success stories. <laughs> Each of us mentor four African leaders. So one of the leaders that I mentor is uh, Chris Don Munyo. He's a pastor in northern Zambia, and we've gotten to know him and his wife, Mar- uh, Doreen. And uh, one of the things that Chris Don shared with us early in this journey was uh, how much he struggled just with his own personal anger, um, lashing out at his wife, lashing out at his children. But over the course of time, as he's really focused on getting into the Word and spending time with the Lord, as we've had our mentoring times together, as he's met together with this group of other guys who are growing together, Christone has shared that just his own ability to control that anger, um, to have patience with his children, has really grown in these last two and a half years. One of the things that he's doing now is meeting with every one of his sons. He has four boys, and we were with them together just this last year. Four boys, once a month, he meets one-on-one with each of them. They're all the way from uh, gra- college graduate all the way down to a four-year-old. Meets with them one-on-one, once a month, just for some mentoring time between dad and his sons. Um, uh, ongoing from that, Christone has been focusing on in his local church, uh, really developing, equipping, discipling his next-level leaders in his church. And then they are all small group leaders, discipleship group leaders for men, women in their local church. And they're meeting every week um, around the word, going through a discipleship curriculum, mentoring uh, people, members in their, in their own church. Just recently, Chris Stone has begun a discipleship ministry with key leaders in each of the regions of Zambia to expand discipleship ministry across Zambia. So we're really excited for that. One of the things that has happened, we got to know the chief of his whole region up in northern Zambia. He's the guy in the red, in the red bow tie there. You can't miss a chief when you see him. And um, one of the things that his chief said was, you know, I never realized that I myself could disciple my own family. I never realized God could use me, even as a chief, to disciple other leaders within my kingdom, within my area that I'm responsible for. And so he and Christone together now have started a discipleship ministry among key business leaders that are living in the region where he leads. And so that's just been exciting to see that multiply there. The second guy I wanted to tell you about real quickly, and then Ernie will let you preach is a guy named Warren Forna. Warren and his wife, Aduma, live in Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone, you, you may have remember it from the news, the Ebola outbreak, very far western Africa. Um, uh, Warren was a, a, a professor in a seminary. He was offered a, a senior pastor position in the largest church in Freetown, Sierra Leone. But Warren and his wife, Adama, said no. We think that God is calling us to a very small church across the bay that is struggling. It's in an all-Muslim part of Freetown. And we want to, to focus on that church and focus on discipleship in that local church. So they, they started ministering there. They started reaching out to Muslims in the, in the community. Muslims started responding to faith in Christ. A number of them were baptized recently. 
And so now Warren is discipling 10 key Muslim background believers from this community. And they're all training and equipping and discipling people and their families and their networks. So we really praise God for that. And um, Ernie, you can share what's, what's next in ASDM and uh, we'll hand it over to you for, for the message. I will well. say this, that Tom and I are having a chance to live our dream. And I don't know how many of you can actually say that, but we're living a really neat time right now. If we had a jet, and this might just be an invitation right now, but if we had a jet and we could fly to 16 countries, we have a guy that will meet us there who will open up his entire denomination. And Grace Bible Church, I want to tell you, uh, over in in Africa, they don't have independent Bible churches like Grace Bible Church. Our guy in in Uganda, Titus, uh, Titus is part of a small denomination of 13 and a half million people. Uh, Those are the kind of numbers that we're dealing with. And we can have somebody pick us up his denomination will open, us, open up to us at the highest level, and he will take us to churches with pastors that are making disciples in that. So this next uh, six months, we're moving from 10 pastors to the big multiplication where those 10 pastors are now discipling 10 other pastors. And then the third ring of that would be those 100 pastors then disciple 10 pastors each. That's the model. And secondly, beginning in September, we're picking up 16 new countries to be a part of. So if you're not praying for anybody yet... Pray for the African Strategic Discipleship Movement because I'm telling you today, what we're doing is a supernatural deal. I office out of my house with a laptop computer and I'm tied into a movement of 21 million people and 44,000 churches from a laptop in 770132 zip code in the woodlands. That's pretty awesome. Let's share a word from the word. How about that? Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. I do want to make a little bit more of the story about the, uh, king, uh, the chief from Zambia. He is called the, uh, His Royal Highness. I mean, that's his name. And we were at a conference together, and we're going to spend, you know, seven days together with him. And I asked him, I said, uh, hey, man, what should I call you in the next week? He said, oh, the Royal Highness is fine. So uh, that was kind of unusual, you know, just to have jaw time with the Royal Highness. But uh, I want to talk to you today about the Jesus plan. Would you say that out loud with me? The Jesus plan. A little bit louder. Say it like you're preaching it. The Jesus plan. And the reason I want to talk to you about the Jesus plan is because today up in Minnesota, uh, Belichick, Brady, and the boys, uh, they've got their plan. And they've got a very intentional plan that they're trying to bring on Nick Foles and the Eagles. And they're working that plan. And today, February 4th, 18, we're about 35 days out of the new year. Some of you have been on the South Beach plan. Uh, I need to go on the South Beach plan. But uh, we're all working our plans. You have a plan. That's what the question mark is today. You have your plan. And the thing about the plan you have, it might be an American dream plan. It might be the A&M plan to just get me through Aggie land and get me a job and get the money start flowing. I just want to say this today, that every single one of us has a plan. And let me add to that, you're committed to that plan. None of us have a casual plan that's operating inside of our hearts. We have these things inside of us that are driving us. I have a volcano inside of me, and the older I get, that volcano increases in intensity of making a difference with my life. And today I want to talk to you about the plan that Jesus has. Can I just see a show of hands in here of those that, are, that would, would, would be interested in the plan of Jesus Christ in your life today? Can I just see a show of hands? More than likely that will be unanimous. But I really want us to look at the Jesus plan today to really take him serious about what Jesus Christ is trying to do. 
Because I really do believe that the Jesus plan, you and I will find our greatest purpose and our greatest passion will be found inside of Jesus's plan. And if you want to say amen right now, this would be an appropriate time for that. All right. I want you to see that in Jesus's plan, I'm not talking some theoretical African-oriented discipleship. Do not put us in that category. Disciple making is at the core of what Jesus Christ is all about. And if you have not made it to Matthew chapter four, that's an introduction to get you there. But if you do not have Matthew chapter four as part of your hierarchy of scripture, you need to have Matthew chapter four because it is absolutely epic. I'm going to be looking at the traditional discipleship verses in Matthew chapter four, which is 18 through 22, the calling of that. But one thing about scripture and especially Bible study methods is context, context, context. Would you say that out loud with me? Context, 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 context matters. And so when you're studying scripture for the first time, you look at the arrangement of the material, even inside a chapter. So before we get to Matthew 4:18, I just want to set the context for the call to discipleship. It begins with what? A battle of the kingdoms. And Jesus is out in the desert 40 days without food. I, it's tough for me to go 40 seconds, but he's 40 days without food. And then the tempter came to him. And the third temptation was the splendor of the kingdoms. The splendor of the kingdoms. Can you imagine that? The splendor of the kingdoms. And Jesus rebukes him. Jesus rejects that kingdom. Serve the Lord and serve the Lord our God alone. And he rejects that. And right after that rejection, Jesus now begins to do what? He begins to start his own ministry. He begins to start his own kingdom venture. So let me just summarize just a little bit to keep this in context. Because some of you, this is new material. Matthew chapter 4, the offer of the false kingdom to Jesus. The rejection of the false kingdom by Jesus. The establishment of the new kingdom by Jesus. And now we have the, the call to discipleship. Now somebody raise your hand and say, Pastor, why is this such so important to you? Because what I want you to see that the call to discipleship takes place in the battle of the kingdoms. Satan was out to, to bring Jesus into his plan. Jesus rejects Satan's kingdom and starts his own kingdom. And discipleship is the process whereby Jesus brings kingdom agents into his kingdom. And that kingdom battle would take place in the midst of spiritual warfare. The things that are going on on the African continent, the things that are going on in the Middle East, where we have all this warfare and this ISIS, should not be a surprise to the church. Why? Because the church was birthed in the midst of conflict. The church was bit, uh, birthed in the midst of kingdom battle, and that's where discipleship takes place. Is there an amen today? Do you understand that? So question, why was Jesus not just ascended into heaven after the cross? Why couldn't have Jesus showed up at age 30 and gone to Calvary? Why did he just not show up and do the sin thing, get that out of the way, make it right for us to believe in him and go on? Because Part of his plan was a continuation of Jesus's ministry that would live beyond Christ. Part of Jesus's plan would be to raise up an army of people called disciples that would do the work of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to talk to you about today. That's the plan of Jesus. Let's just kind of, uh, uh, on your pew, you have a, a, an outline. Some of you need that. Uh, I've got like 14 minutes left. 
and I've got an outline for 14 days. So there's some information there. But let's just kind of just consider Jesus' plan. Twelve guys. Twelve guys. Three years. Change the world. Let's just say that out loud again. Many of you are taking classes that I cannot pronounce at A&M. You're in some structural engineering classes. And praise God for those classes, I guess, for some reason. (laughs) Twelve guys. Three years. (laughs) Change the world. No ologies. I've been at school a lot of my life. Dallas Seminary was about ologies. Pneumatology, ecclesiology. Good stuff. But the 12 never had any of that. They had Jesus. 12 guys. Three years. Changed the world. That's the Jesus plan. And I want to break that down as simply as I can today. Uh, Discipleship is one of those words. You open up Christianity today and discipleship is all over that. Many of you don't even have a clue to what disciple making is. That's okay. We're going to try to help you out with that today. But Jesus' plan for our life, Jesus' plan A for us, is that we would be disciples and that we would make disciples. Would you say that with me? That we would be disciples and that we would make disciples. And let me connect that to you right now before we get into Matthew 4. Is The connection is this, is be disciples and make disciples is Jesus' plan for us. And it's in that plan that we find maximum purpose and passion for our lives. It's not just college students that are thinking about impact. 53-year-old guys are also thinking about that same question. 73-year-old people are thinking that same question today of where do I find purpose? Where do I find the meaning of life? And today I want to tell you, discipleship is directly tied to the meaning of life. It's what Jesus came to be about. So we have our verse, and uh, we have our verse. It's down in Matthew chapter 4, that section there. It's interesting, Jesus did not go to the academies, did he? He didn't go to the academies. He didn't go to, to JU, Jerusalem University. Jesus went to Galilee. He went among what? The common folk. If Jesus would have taken his business model out to the Stanford Business School, he would have been laughed out of the place. It had none of the components that most business schools has, but it's changed the world. And so he went by a lake and he sees a couple guys out there in a fishing boat. And it's almost, you read it, it's almost random. It's almost like a day in the life of Jesus. How pastoral. See some people in the boat. Hey, guys, come follow me. And they follow him and they leave everything. And those 12 guys that leave everything has changed the world. Has changed the world. I'm a Christian today because of Matthew chapter 4. Amen for that. Amen for that. Amen for that. So let me give you three ideas, three takeaways today. First takeaway isn't even in your notes. This is just me. I just want you to know Jesus is committed to disciple making. Amen. Can we say that? Jesus is committed to disciple making. Some of you have daydreams. You know, some of you have daydreams about the Patriots Eagles game. Good for you. Let me tell you what Jesus is daydreaming about. Jesus is daydreaming about making disciples. 
He's daydreaming right now about those parts of the world that do not have disciples, and he's trying to connect you and me to those places that don't have it. That's what Jesus daydreams about. How do we know it? Because it's right here in Matthew chapter 4. This is Jesus' daydream right here. This is what he is talking about. These are the things that if you had a car trip with Christ, he would be talking about these things. What's hot in your life, and how do we take what's hot in your life with what's hot in the world? That's what Jesus is about. So let me give you three things. Number one. Attaching your life to Jesus will radically change your life. Attach, it's in your notes, so you don't have to write it down. But attaching your life to Jesus will radically change your life. I've been reading through the Gospels. And if you want to have a radical breakthrough into your life, start reading the Gospels. Jesus talks about things like this, love your enemies. Anybody ever tried to do that? Man, that's just radical. What do you do with enemies? We enemy enemies, right? Jesus says, love them and what? Pray for them. And when you love and pray for an enemy, what begins to happen is your heart changes and their heart changes. That's radical stuff. And so Jesus invites them to themselves. So let's just spend a little time about a day in the life with Jesus. Four things. If we had been one of the original disciples, what would that would have looked like? All right, number one, they, they would have learned truths. They would have learned things from Jesus. Jesus was the master teacher. Just write this down in your notes, Matthew chapter 14. It's one of my favorite passages. There's a lot of places that I could have taken you to right now, but they learned biblical truths. And they learned them, listen to this Grace Bible Church, they learned those truths in a relational context. Jesus and his disciples never had this. Jesus was always on the move with his guys and he would stop and he would have mobile teaching sessions with them. And one of the things they learned was Matthew chapter 14, the feeding of the 5,000. All four of the gospels, the synoptics plus John, all have the feeding of the 5,000. Why is the feeding of the 5,000 in all four of the gospels and why did Jesus have that? Another question to ask in regards to this, was the feeding of the 5,000 for the 5,000 or was the feeding of the 5,000 for the twelve? It's my teaching today that I think the feeding of the 5,000 was not for the 5,000, it was for the 12. Because how many baskets were left over? 12. And in a few short years, Jesus was going to boot them out. He was going to ascend, and now they're the carriers of the gospel. And they were going to be put into overwhelming situations that did not have easy answers. Hey man, we got too many people here to feed. Jesus, I don't see a Whataburger in sight. What are we going to do with them? What does Jesus say to them? You give them something to eat. Can you imagine what that would have spawned in them? You give them something. What is he talking about? We don't even have a bag ourselves and he's asking us to feed them. Yeah, you give them something. To, uh, overwhelming situation. Overwhelming inability to, 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 to meet the situation. What do we have? Bring the fish to me. Bring the loaves to me. And he touches the loaves and What happens? Fed all 5,000 with 12 left over. For those of us that have been on the mission field, especially in Africa, one of the big situations in Africa is vision does not have resources, most leaders think. And so therefore, leaders in Africa have to tap into Western pockets to be able to supply the visions that they have in Africa. Do you think that's Jesus' intention? Yeah, partnership is good. But do you really think that's Jesus' intention? Are there any poverty countries spiritually? Absolutely not. 
And part of the teaching that Jesus is making here in Matthew chapter 14 is this. In Christ, you have sufficiency for all things. Is there an amen that's here today? Sufficiency in all things. Can you imagine that teaching? So they learn truths. Uh, Number two, I I don't have time to go through all four, but I do want to go to the next one. They loved people. They learned to love people. Jesus blew their minds. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's really talking to her. Oh, no. That's the woman with the reputation. Jesus was blowing their minds in terms of who the gospel was for. Samaritans, people with questionable reputations, Luke chapter 15 reminds us that those people named sinners were the people that Jesus was all about. That was a day in the life of discipleship with Jesus Christ. How much of our immigration issues revolve around this issue right here that we're talking about? What's going on in our hearts for people that are different from us is what discipleship and the gospel is all about. How do we manage that? The gospel has a different perspective. And so point number one in regards to the plan of Jesus for your life, can you say it with me? Radically attaching yourself to Jesus will what? It will change your life. Now, church, look at me right here because this is a big change. Number two, here it comes. Radically attaching ourselves to the lives of others will change their lives. Would you say that with me? Radically attaching ourselves to the lives of others will change their life. I might not get invited back after this next statement. I was having a discussion with my wife up here as we drove up today. What is a disciple? Is a disciple just a learner? Follow me, all right? Follow me, the process. I will make you as the promise. What? What? Fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. All Christians are not disciples and all disciples are not multiplying disciples. A disciple is a person that has been radically changed by Christ and is now beginning to move into relationship with somebody else so that out of our life, life will take place in somebody else. Discipleship is not the Sunday morning activity at church only. Sunday morning church matters tremendously because it's there where we're fed. But that feeding is not for the head only. That feeding is for the hands. That feeding is for our hearts. That feeding is so that we then can connect to other people. Listen to me. Disciple making is a relational activity whereby I'm pouring my life into three daughters that will carry the name of Fry to the next. Well, I guess Fry's not going to make it to the next generation if they get married. (laughs) Boy, one day, what will that be like? Goodness, we're not there yet. Thank you for that. (laughs) Disciple making is relational. Is there an amen for that today? Here's the revolutionary statement. If you're a follower of Christ, but you're not pouring yourself into the lives of people, then you're not a disciple of Jesus. That's the revolutionary statement. Is that the discipleship process, yes, it begins with your relationship with Christ, that's the beginning point. That's the place where, where, where your foundation is matured and developed, but it's out of that what? It's out of that, then I pour my life into somebody else. And if I'm a Christian that is only coming to church and being fed, but I'm not pouring myself practically in the lives of other people, that is not the understanding of Jesus-based discipleship. Pastor, where does that come with? Follow me and I will what? Make you what? Fishers of men. Follow me because as you follow me, I'm going to lead you into people. Here's some, uh, every part of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels is related to people. 
You do not have Jesus teaching in any chapter in the Gospels where he stands up in front of a podium and speaks to people. Jesus is always in the context of relational lives when he's speaking and teaching the disciples. An amazing concept. And so this movement, this plan, the Jesus plan, be a disciple, make a disciple. We've been designed to be a disciple. We attach ourselves to Christ and that changes us. And as we attach ourselves to somebody else, it changes that life. Ken Ostell. Kent was a sophomore in high school when I was teaching school. I was a chaplain and Bible teacher at a school in Memphis. Kind of a cool story there. Do you remember the Michael Orr story? Michael Orr came into my class as a sophomore, or as a junior, no, as a sophomore in my class. He took up the whole wall when he came in. Big guy came in, had never held a Bible before. I held him after class one day. I said, Mike, I want to talk to you. Had a chance to lay out the gospel to Mike. Mike gave his life to Christ in my Bible classroom in Memphis, Tennessee. Pretty cool. One of his classmates was a guy by the name of Ken Ostell. Kent was so shy, he could, he, could, he could hardly even speak in complete sentences when you called on him in class. His face got beat red. Goes to Arkansas, runs track at Arkansas after Arkansas, comes back to the very school that I was teaching at, and he takes my place. He becomes a Bible teacher and a chaplain. Kent, last week, stepped off an airplane in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, as the new headmaster at Bingham Academy, a guy that I poured my life into when he was a sophomore, and now he's becoming a headmaster in Bingham, Ethiopia. You know what he said to me in a text? He said, Fry, you're not going to believe it, but I'm living my dream, and this is what I've been made for. A little lunchtime conversation with him, a little chance to pour out what the Lord was doing in my life, seasoned over time, and now he and his wife have made the plunge to serve the Lord on the field. Amen for that? Down at the bottom of your page, let me give you four aspects, four ideas of what Jesus' space ministry is, and then we're going to get on our knees, and we're going to ask God, what does this mean for us today? Four things, the way that Jesus did it. Number one, he was intentional about it. It was not random disciple making. A lot of discipleship that goes on in our homes is let's pray for dinner, and that's about the extent of what's going on in our houses. Nothing's wrong with that. Got to add a little bit more seasoning to that. It was intentional. He, he planned what he was teaching. Secondly, this is huge. It's relational. It's relational. I read a survey yesterday out of England, and it said in England, 9 million people say that they are lonely. In the most connected generation that's ever been, 9 million people say that they are lonely. What that practically means is they do not have somebody that's in their life that's speaking value into their life. We are living in a disciple-making moment right now. Number three, it's transformational. It's transformational. Discipleship changes you. It changes you. As Tom was talking about Christone, he moved from an angry pastor to a pastor that, that now he's on his knees and the Lord is changing him and changing his wife and changing his family because discipleship does that. And number four, lastly, it's doable. It's doable. It's doable. What does that mean? It's doable. That's what it means. Jesus was creating a model of disciple making where you didn't have to go to seminary. Jesus was creating a model of discipleship that we all could engage in that process. Amen for that? The last point, the last point, number one, attaching yourself to Jesus changes your life. Number two, attaching yourself to somebody else's life changes their life. And number three, obedience to Jesus is total obedience. Total. And immediately, 
They, they left their nets and followed Christ. Immediately, they left what they were doing and followed Jesus. Yeah, you know the Bible. It's just full of good old stories. That's a good one. What does that mean for us today? I'll be honest. I would love to pastor at this church. A church filled with so much life that's here. A church that's filled with young people and older people. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. Younger people and wiser people (laughs) that are wrestling with the question of, God, what's your call in my life? But I know this, that Revelation 5 and 7 is coming. And there's going to be a day when we're gathered around the throne and there's going to be people from all over the place, all over the place. Every tribe, nation, people, and language is going to be represented. And then you're going to have some backroom conversations in Revelation 5 and 7. And in those backroom conversations, there's going to be a guy over here that said, my wife and I, we stepped out in faith and we followed the Lord and we didn't know what that looked like. And the Lord used us to bring the gospel to some places that had never had the light before. Can you imagine? Yeah, Super Bowl's a big deal. Nice statue. Old news at the end of today. That's old news. It's old news who wins. But when somebody comes to Christ and a people group is reached, all of eternity sees the names of those people that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen for that? What kind of story do you want to be written about? What kind of legacy do you want to have? Oh, he was a good man, faithfully worked, provided for his family. That's good. Come on. The Jesus stories are the stories of where people took great risk. They stepped out in faith. God was a 12-basket God. He can take care of us if we step out. Church, I want to pray right now for us. I have been discipled in churches. Praise God for churches. Church is more than good ideas. It's those ideas that matter. It's the decisions that come right now. Right now. Where you're sitting where you are, and you're in high school, and you have this kind of weird dude in homeroom class, but the weird dude in homeroom class kind of likes you, thinks your jokes are funny. That's not my accident. God has put you in that weird dude's sphere to be a light for the gospel. Praise God for weird dudes. I was one of them. Discipleship is not about an occupation. It's not about what you do with your life. It's not everybody joins the church. Discipleship is beyond occupation. Discipleship is the call of every believer. Discipleship is not about personality. For I don't have your kind of personality. Praise God you don't. But you have your personality. And God uses occupations and he uses personalities. And I'm going to pray right now because the question that we're talking about today is the question of identity. And right now in the American church, among American Christians, the challenge is we do not have a Christian identity. We have one foot in the church and we have another foot over here in this thing called the world and we're trying to balance those two things. That's not how we do it. Jesus asks us to go all in, to go all in, to bring those lives into one place. Amen? That's a Christian identity. It's overwhelming. It's challenging. But I tell you what, there's no better life for that. There's no better life. There's no better life. There's no better life. 
Can you imagine the day when people show up to grace and there's not many people here? Why aren't they here? Because they're gone. They're gone. What do you mean they're gone? They haven't been raptured yet. They're gone because they're answering the call of God upon their life. We can't keep people in church because the call of God upon our life to disciple the nations. Am I whacked? Or is this the gospel? I think it's the gospel. Amen? So I'm going to pray, and it's not going to be one of those prayers that's an easy prayer. Let's get this sermon over. We've got a second group that's coming in. Let's rotate, rotate, rotate. I want to pray right now and just ask the Spirit of God to speak to you. And he will do that. And what I'm going to pray for is I'm going to pray for courage. I'm going to pray for courage. That God would give you courage to answer his call. Courage to talk to your neighbor. Courage to talk to a golfing buddy. Courage. 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 Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, it's just so simple, it's hard to believe. Can something so simple be so amazingly powerful? The Jesus plan, 12 guys, three years of Jesus in their life every day, changed the world. These guys were ordinary fishermen. That's what blew the Pharisees away. These guys are not learned men. They're just ordinary guys who, who, who have lives have changed. They're whacked. And God, we're coming before you today on February 4th, 2018, in the year of the Lord, asking for a movement of discipleship to begin not just in this church, but in us individually. My identity is I am a disciple maker. I'm a disciple who makes disciples. I'm a disciple that lives for other people. I'm a, I'm a person that lives for somebody else's story. I'm not someone that's consumed by my stuff, but I'm willing to have other people's stuff become my stuff for the glory of God. That's a disciple. I use my money for disciple-making. I use my time for disciple-making. Well, I don't have time to invest. Really? Seven hours at an Aggie game on a Saturday, and you don't have time for a 30-minute coffee? Something's whacked. And so, God, I pray today, Lord, that you would grab our heart afresh. God, I thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life. I thank you, God, that you continue to transform me. I thank you for the daily time in the Word of God that continues to ruin me. God, I thank you that you're continuing to make me holy. God, I thank you that you continue to stir my hearts for people that don't look like me, talk like me, and act like me. God, those are the people that you have a heart for. God, I would pray right now for everybody in this room that, God, you would stir in their hearts that the, the, the thing they leave here with today is a Savior that is crazy about making disciples and about using us in that process. God, I want to thank you for the legacy of GBC, but, God, I believe that the best years of GBC are in front of it and not behind it. God, I believe that some amazing things are going on now and that, God, you want to continue that. And so, God, right now, as each person has to wrestle with the call of God on their life right now in terms of disciple-making, I pray, God, that you would give them the courage to say yes to the call of discipleship in their life. Yes to that. What is disciple-making? A disciple is somebody that follows after Jesus and invest our lives and the lives of other people to help them fall in love with Christ as well. A disciple stays in College Station. A disciple moves to Kazakhstan. A disciple is a person that's a teacher at a school during the week, but after school they're investing with students on their campus. 
A disciple is not just a pastor. A disciple is any profession for the call of Jesus Christ in their life. So God, we thank you for today. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you, that you, God, would speak to each of us right now and that, Lord, you would put a burning desire in our heart for disciple-making and for the nations. In your mighty name we pray, amen, amen. Can I see your eyes just real quick? My dad was an Aggie. Yeah, quite a story. Um, never earned a, a high school letter, but he played varsity football at A&M. And he got this crazy idea. There was a guy that was teaching at a Bible church down in Houston, a guy by the name of Bob Thiem that some of you wise guys know in here. Bob Thiem came up on a daily or a weekly basis and began investing in 12 Aggies, all football players, baseball players. And after Bob Thiem invested in them, those guys for three years in a row met every day after chow time around the Word of God, opening their lives up to one another. For the last 50 years of my life, my father has telling me discipleship stories about those 12 guys that have been in my dad's life. Uh, They told me that I'm supposed to end the service today. And so the way that I want to end the service today is I want you to leave the service today talking to somebody about discipleship out the door, all right? If If you're a Patriots fan, I'll pray for you, all right? I'll be honest, I'm sick and tired of success, all right? I'm tired of Alabama. I'm tired of the Patriots. Don't walk out teaching. All right, I just talked about that, so you don't have to talk about it. Leave today with a discipleship discussion. Leave today with the question of who are you going to reach? How are you going to do it? How are you going to carve out time? Can we do that? Let me pray for you one more time. Father, we come before you today. God, thank you for this day. God, I thank you, Lord, that our greatest passions and our greatest purposes and our greatest plans are in your plan. And so, God, thank you for your plan. Thank you, God, that your plan is worthy of eternity. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.